social status is irrelevant to God, which, by the way, makes your desire to change your social status equally irrelevant and, in many cases, sinful and idolatrous. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. If you were to gauge your life today as a Christian, if you were to look at the situation that the Lord has put you in, what would you need to do today? What would you need to change today about your circumstances, not your heart, but your physical circumstances to make you a better Christian. In other words, what could you change about your circumstances, your job, your finances, your social standing, in order to be able to truly worship and serve your God 100%? Well, this morning, Paul's going to answer that question for us. And I'm going to tell you right now that the answer is nothing. There's nothing that you need to change in order to serve Him better. You see, we tend to blame our social or physical situations for our sin, for lack of service, for our inability to give Him our all. If only I had more influence, if only I had a better job, if only, if only, if only. But what Paul is about to tell us is that if God has saved you while in a particular situation then surely God wants to use you in that particular situation. This morning, as we look at our passage, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24, we're going to look at five helps to understanding the Christian's social standing so that we can have the right perspective of social status and live according to that. Social standing or social status is a very complicated and nuanced thing, especially these days. It involves how we view our marriage or our singleness or even race and social equality. Whatever you want to think from a political or social or cultural standpoint, it must be based on a biblical standpoint. In other words, a Christian worldview. When you flip those two, and let the culture or society or whatever it may be dictate how you view the Scriptures, when you flip those upside down, then the world is going to influence what you believe about the Bible, which in turn will make you question and even challenge, not me, not what other Christians are saying, but God. You may think you have a problem with what I'm saying or what another believer is saying, But so long as what they are saying is biblical, the person you have a problem with is your Creator. Sure, it's easier to attack this pastor or attack this blog writer or attack that individual in your church because you don't like what they say. But if what they are saying is reiterating Scripture, then who you have a problem with is God. So we better get our thinking straight, especially when it comes to social standing. Because what God can, is willing to, and will do to this sinful world is terrifying. It's terrifying. 
So we cannot let the world dictate how we think. But it is as terrifying as His grace is astounding. Well, five helps to understanding social standing. Let's look at the first help, which is the universal principle. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. He's continuing the flow of thought as he has just talked about marriage and specifically being in a mixed marriage or a Christian, being married to a non-Christian. And then he goes on to verse 17 and says, Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk, and so I direct in all the churches. 1 Corinthians seven seventeen. This universal principle that Paul lays out here undergirds this entire passage. What is the principle? It is that in whatever situation you were called, in other words, that you were saved, there is no reason to try to change that situation. Now again, the immediate context is a reference to being unequally yoked. And this goes back to the idea that being married to a non-Christian does not somehow contaminate you, your marriage, or your family. In fact, we saw last week that the opposite is true. By your existence in that marriage and in that family, because you are saved, you sanctify your husband, you sanctify the home, you sanctify the kids. If you are married to a non-Christian because you were saved post-wedding or you thought your uh, spouse was a believer, but it turns out they are not, then there is no need to change your marital status. If you were called while married to an unbeliever, then this is the situation in which you should and can honor God. Paul broadens the principle to all social statuses and circumstances. And as we go on, he will specifically speak of circumcision and being a slave in that time period and in that culture, very much having social stigmas. Now, in our verse, verse 17, Paul uses the word assigned, which means to distribute. And it speaks here of the external conditions of life, your circumstances, your social standing. And the point is that God knows what He's doing and that any social standing, any professional occupation, any marital status, any ethnicity, any religious history can be used for the glory of God. So don't think that because you are saved now that you need to change these things in order to serve Him. The one caveat would be any occupation or habits that are immoral or illegal. This seems obvious to us, but we need to remember that the context for Paul's Corinthian audience shows us that there needs to be a consideration for pagan priestesses who served as prostitutes. Now, before we go on, I must clarify that Paul's main concern is not that you have to stay in your present circumstances or that it's even wrong to change them. It's not wrong to get married. It's not wrong to take that raise or get a new job. That's not what he's saying. So listen carefully. His main concern is this, that as believers, we recognize that whatever situation that we are in 
is within God's sovereignty and thus the proper circumstance for you to live out your Christian calling. So there is a clear connection to God's sovereignty. He does not make mistakes. To put it another way, God was sovereign in your life even before you were saved. So the situation that you were in when saved was and is the social situation that God assigned you to, specifically at the time of salvation. To put it yet another way, social status is irrelevant to God, which, by the way, makes your desire to change your social status equally irrelevant and in many cases sinful and idolatrous when we idolize becoming richer or having more stuff or changing jobs or idolizing marriage. So, on the one hand, don't neglect your spiritual life because you think you could do better for God if you could just get out of your current marriage, your financial situation, your social status, or whatever it may be. But on the other hand, don't disregard God's sovereignty and good pleasure in putting you exactly where you are. Either way, when you spend so much time trying to better yourself socially, you waste time that could have otherwise been used to glorify God and obey Him. And we see how it can be sinful because we put God to the side and our social or personal or financial or marital goals ahead of Him. We need to be careful. He uses this phrase, each one. And in the Greek, it emphasizes, because in the Greek it's, what's in, called the, it, it's in what is called the emphatic position, and it stresses the fact that every single believer is a unique individual. We understand that. No two are alike. And that God's call reaches to people of different backgrounds, different niches of society and different contexts. And with so many different scenarios that we all live in, there is one overarching universal principle. God's call is what matters, so live by that. He closes the verse by saying that he directs this to all the churches. The word directs is a military term. That means to command or to give an order. In other words, this is not a teaching specific to the Corinthians because of their obvious sin issues and immaturity. This is for all the churches. And you can see as a Corinthian back then, having this letter read to you that you could think, oh, he's just speaking to us, but he's saying, no, no, no. This is a biblical principle. This is a God-ordained principle for all believers And so this is yet another reason this principle is universal. It undergirds all things, and it is for all Christians. So important is this principle that, as I mentioned earlier, Paul will keep repeating it in our passage for the morning, adding a different example or a different nuance each time. Now, having seen that first point the universal principle and understanding that he's talking about this throughout that is so important what our priorities are and even if we have priorities below this universal principle to glorify God in any situation we must tie it into that first principle 
And as we move on, he gives us this example and repeats the principle. Now, this first example that he gives may be a bit lost to us in our cultural context, but was extremely significant in biblical times. So let's, let's move on to our second help to understanding social standing or status, the ultimate prerogative. Follow along as I read verses 18 and 19. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Circumcision was a sign that God gave to his people, a physical sign to his people, the Jews, all the way back in Genesis chapter 17 as part of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, before the multitude of laws that would later be given to Moses to set Israel apart from the rest of the world, circumcision was given as the main sign of God's people. It was a physical sign of his covenant with God's people. It was a physical change done to the human body. Circumcision then became synonymous with being a Jew and synonymous with belonging to God. There really is no other universal symbol today that carries the significance of circumcision. Whether it's the American flag or your ethnicity or even a title, all of it pales in comparison to this God-ordained sign of circumcision for His people, the Jews. So when the new covenant came about, when Jesus Christ came, circumcision was no longer needed as God's people were not physically to be circumcised, but spiritually circumcised in the heart. And we see that in Romans 2.29. And this also includes Gentiles. And so, whereas physical circumcision was a sign for the Jew, as the gospel and salvation was opened up universally for non-Jews, the Gentiles, we also have this added bit that you no longer need to be physically circumcised to show uh, that you belong to God because circumcision is within the heart. It is of the Spirit. Now back to Corinth. What was happening there was that there were Jews who were trying to hide their identity by reversing their circumcision. Naturally, as Jews, they were circumcised when they were babies. And now as adults, they wanted to reverse the circumcision. Now, this was because circumcision was looked down upon and ridiculed in their world, in the Greco-Roman ancient world. And this was especially important to these people uh, because they couldn't really hide it. Because they would, many of them would go to the Greek gymnasium where, as you know, they would exercise and bathe publicly naked. And so people would see the circumcision and it was a shame and embarrassment to these Jews. All that to say, at that time, to become uncircumcised was both surgically possible and popular. It's also possible that some Jewish Christians wanted this reversal surgery to show their break from Judaism now that they had accepted the Messiah, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior. This was especially pertinent considering that circumcision was the dividing sign between Jews and non-Jews, and in many ways, Jews and New Covenant believers. 
And so you can see even well-meaning Christians outside of the social stigma would want to reverse their circumcision. And so what we have in these two examples are both a social status reason as well as a spiritual reason that a Jew who was circumcised would seek to be uncircumcised. On the flip side, there were those who got saved and were not Jews, had never been circumcised. They were confused by the Old Testament law and sought to get circumcised as a sign of their commitment to God. And we know this was a bigger problem in the Galatian church where the Judaizers had come in and infiltrated the church and had confused the believers in regards to Paul's teachings. And certain Christians were convinced that circumcision was necessary for or at least as part of their salvation. And so we understand why someone who is not a Jew in the church would want to get circumcised. And what Paul is saying is that you don't need to do either because of the universal principle that he gave us in our first point in verse 17. That is, specifically here, whether you are circumcised and want to get rid of this Jewish symbol or want to advance in social status because of its stigma, or if you think it's a form of spiritual growth to get circumcised, it's not necessary. Because whether you are circumcised or uncircumcised, that is the social, ethnic, and physical state that God called you in. And what matters is that God called you, not what your physical body is like. Again, the gospel eclipses and thus eliminates all social classifications and distinctions. There is no need to change. There is, you are not a lesser Christian because you are a Jew ethnically and are circumcised. There is no lesser blood spilt for you because you are a Gentile believer and are not circumcised. There is nothing in your physical body, in your ethnicity, in your religious background, whatever it may be, that matters to God so long as He has called you. The physical sign of your Jewish ethnicity, don't change and serve Him. Embarrassed because of something society considers a self-imposed mutilation? Don't change and serve Him. Never circumcised but desire to physically show the world you belong to God? Don't change and serve Him. And we can go on. We can talk about your view of your ethnicity. We can talk about your view of the fact that you are in a blue-collar profession or a white-collar profession. And this is the same thing. There are Jews who had this circumcision that wanted to be uncircumcised. They had the sign of God and wanted to be uncircumcised. Maybe you're white-collar and you make a lot of money and you want to downgrade your job because you think it's inappropriate as a Christian. Don't change. Serve God. You think that you can't serve God because you're blue-collar. You're making ends meet. You're serving your family. You're providing for them well. But you decide to put aside service, 
to limit your time from service so that you can go to school and get a degree, and in all that time you know that you will be sacrificing your worship of God. No, 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 no. You stay blue-collar, don't change, serve Him. And you see how this principle applies to everything. But when it comes to circumcision, it's very different because throughout the Old Testament, this was a big deal to the point that there was much confusion for the early church regarding circumcision. So why would he say don't change? Verse 19, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. This isn't the only time that Paul declares circumcision inconsequential. Every time because of for the same reason. We see him say this in Galatians 5. He says it in Galatians 6 and in Romans 2 that I referenced earlier. And in that passage, he clarifies that now circumcision is of the heart and it is not about a physical procedure. Now keep in mind, although different today, back then and historically, circumcision is Jewish. Paul is Jewish. So this is a huge statement for someone like Paul to make. But that's kind of the whole point. Spiritual background or any other social marker does not matter. So not just circumcision, but again, also marriage or being unmarried and celibacy are all nothing. They are irrelevant to God. What matters to God, and here we get to the ultimate prerogative at the end of verse 19, the keeping of the commandments of God. And as always, I want to point out that if you are obeying externally without the right heart, you are not keeping the commandments of God. It means not just doing what He wants. It means doing what He wants with the right heart, which ultimately is doing what He wants. He says keeping. Keeping of the commandments. This is a great word in the Greek. It means guarding like a soldier keeping watch at his post so as to protect any sort of violation or removal. We are to be alert. We are to stand guard. We are to obey. And like that watchman on the tower, to make sure in our own hearts no aspect of God's desire and commands for us in our heart, our mind, and our behavior is removed or taken away or violated. We are to protect it in our own hearts for our own worship, for our own God. That is the ultimate prerogative, to keep God's commandments. Everything else is irrelevant to God. If those things mattered to God, we would be commanded to get married. We would be commanded to stay single. We would be commanded to get circumcised or Jews to reverse their circumcision. Or even if you were circumcised just for whatever reasons as a baby, that you reverse that. We would be commanded to get rid of that tattoo or to get rid of any history on your, uh, your, your, your Facebook page of the other religion you used to be a part of or to cut ties with all of your Catholic family members or whatever it is. But we're not. We're not. We're not commanded to change jobs. We are not commanded to make more money. We are not commanded to make less money. The ultimate prerogative is keeping the commandments of God. In other words, going back to the universal principle, don't be confused with what 
God cares about, obedience and worship, and what society cares about, which often, let's be honest, is an excuse for really what you care about. It doesn't matter to God, so it shouldn't matter to us, even if it is a social stigma as circumcision was for these people in that day. Well, let's go to help number three for Christians to understand social status, the underlying position. We find this in verses 20 through 22. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called a slave or were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. So having addressed marital status and spiritual markings as inconsequential in the bigger scheme of things, he now addresses a very real possibility for the Corinthians, which is slavery. Now, as always, I want to remind you, that we must remove from our minds the slavery in American history and understand that though there were similarities, there were many, many differences in slavery of the Greco-Roman period. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live-streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org.